And this is Adam. We're welcoming you to another episode of Kyo Cinema, yes. where Adam and I are working our way through every Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball Super movie in release order until we're all caught up and eagerly awaiting on the very next one. And lucky for you, my voice cracked at the beginning, so you can already start laughing. <laughs> or, I mean, you're in charge of editing, so you can cut it out if you want. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'll just re-record my name. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we are... Working through, as I said, all of the movies, including the live-action ones. In fact, I believe our next movie offering, so two weeks from the release of this particular episode of Kyo Cinema, we're going to dive back into the live-action end of the cinematic pool. Am I, am I right on that? You are right, yeah. The next episode will be Dragon Ball The Magic Begins from uh, 1991. And I feel like it'll be a movie that we've already seen twice. Um, because I, I feel like it's just, Hey, this is the first like arc of Dragon Ball again. Right. And we've kind of already seen that with curse of the blood rupees and, uh, fight Son Goku win Son Goku, but I'm still here for it because I've never seen it. And that's kind of exciting because I can't say that for any of the other movies on this list, man. What, what do you think? Like, do you think this one's going to be any better than fight Son Goku win Son Goku? I, I feel like nothing can top that. Like. The oolong in that was crazy. The Kamehameha at the end was nuts. Like everything about that movie was just so over the top. I just don't feel like another live action could compete. I agree. And especially on first viewing, Dragon Ball fans are going to freaking love Fight Son Goku and Son Goku. If you haven't already heard Adam and I talk about that, it is worth going back to that episode of Kyo Cinema and listening to it again because it is just delightfully bonkers and enjoyable and should be watched by every fan of Dragon Ball anything. I agree. And, you know, speaking of another movie that should be watched by everyone that loves Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z, Revenge of Cooler is one of them, man. Like, this movie's a freaking blast. It is such, it's just super high octane. It's just nonstop, just always on the go. Cooler is awesome. Like, there's so much about this movie to love, I feel like. I, I read a lot of people online thought the plot was weak, but I think it kind of makes sense. And, and I really enjoyed it. I agree. I had seen this movie before, Cooler's Revenge, but it had been a while and I did not think in my head that it was going to be one of those that ranked really highly on our seven star scale. I was pleasantly surprised and was just bragging about it in the Discord after watching it for the first time. And there's a lot to like about it. I get like I, I read some of what the internet said about this movie too, and some of it is understandable, but especially relative to the the rest of, well, most of the rest of the Dragon Ball Z offerings that we've had so far, Cooler's Revenge is, it's a diamond in the rough, man. Like, it is a, it, a legitimately good movie, in my opinion. I agree. Like, the fight sequences are awesome. The characters are all there that you want to see for the most part. It's, it's cool. I like it. Well, and we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves now because we're, we're, you and I are both getting ready to rate it and we haven't even talked about it. <laughs> That's true. That's fair. All right. So well, let's, let's, let's start jump over. into <laughs> Cooler's Revenge here. Uh, Cooler's Revenge released in Japan July 20th, 1991, um, which is just a few months after when Lord Slug was released. Lord Slug was March of 1991. Um, and most people say that the timeline for this movie takes place after Future Trunks makes his first appearance, but before the androids arrive. 
And uh, before we started recording, Adam, you said that you had some issues with that. So I'll let you speak to that first. Yeah. So, I mean, just just a direct quote from the Internet. In theory, the movie can be slotted in during the three years while the characters are training for the androids. There are a few oddities that don't make sense. Gohan has his tail. He also has his bowl cut from Namek. He also doesn't look like he's aged at all. Uh, Goku isn't able to go Super Saiyan right away like he was shown whenever Trunks comes back from the future. Um, and also there is this thing where he doesn't use instant teleportation at all. So that's apparently not a thing he knows, which makes sense because I don't think when this aired, that particular manga chapter had been released yet. Uh, but I personally like to think that this play takes place like roughly a year after the Frieza fight. And in this universe, there was no issues getting off Namek. Like it probably got blown up still. But everyone was on the same ship, so Goku never went to Yardrat, which is why he doesn't do any instant teleportation in this movie. And the reason that we don't see Shinron in this movie is because they just use the Dragon Balls to wish all of the Namekians back to their, their brand new planet. So that all kind of lines up. Um, the only thing I don't really like about this is that Gohan has his tail, which pretty much is just serves the purpose to identify him as a Saiyan to Cooler's right. cronies. Yep, that's uh, exactly it. He's never shown to have it after Vegeta pulls it off during the Saiyan saga. Uh, but I like the idea that this is just a separate universe where Goku doesn't go to Yardrat. He comes right back to Earth, and it's really only about a year after uh, the Namekian saga. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so as you mentioned, this is the first Dragon Ball Z movie for sure that uh, Shenron is not summoned. I think he was summoned in each of the Dragon Ball movies. That feels right. That feels right, um, yeah. It's also the first movie to feature the Super Saiyan transformation, and it's also the only movie to feature only one Super Saiyan. Every other movie that has a Super Saiyan has more than one right. um, from here on out. Um, and oh, you know what? Uh, the vampire movie, that one didn't have the Dragon Balls in it. Oh, it didn't? No, I don't think I don't think Shinron was ever summoned in that one. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, you might be right. Yeah, yeah. the Sleeping Devil and Princess Ca or mm -hmm. Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle. Yeah, that could be true for sure. It's the only Z one that hasn't had, and this is movie Agreed. five. Agreed. So, um, the uh, yeah, speaking to the timeline, it would seem strange. We've now we've talked before that these movies obviously aren't married to the actual canon of anime or manga um, because it, they just can't. It's it's not moored by those two tether points at all. Because if they were, it would make more sense that, uh, or it makes no sense rather, that Cooler gets to Earth and he's mad that Frieza is dead, but he doesn't yet know that Frieza wasn't only dead the one time, but was killed again a second time before he got there to revenge his brother. And also his dad was killed um, well, before he got to Earth to kill Goku. To be fair, Trunks did kill every single one of those soldiers. It's likely that nobody knew that Trunks killed Frieza and King Cold. But the scouters are communicators. That's how, you know, Vegeta and Nappa overheard. It was like a passive thing that they overheard That's on Raditz's true. face. That's true. And they well, definitely they, used a scouter on Trunks. They did. But I don't know if they always are communicating back. Like, I always kind of assumed they were more like a walkie-talkie. But I guess they aren't. Uh, but the, I mean, who knows? Those communicators have so many different versions. I think that's a thing in Dragon Ball where like, or Dragon Ball Z where Vegeta shows up on Namek and I think Zarbon and uh, Dodoria are like boasting that they have the new scouters, like the new versions. So there's probably a lot of changes made to those things. Well, when this when this movie aired as well, Frieza hadn't even been killed in the anime yet. It had right. happened in the manga, but not in the anime. So I think that that's a really funny way of like. It's kind of like the, like the My Hero movies where 
they take place in a time well beyond where the actual anime has released. And that's really confusing at times for, sure. for people like you who aren't reading the manga ahead of where the anime is. And it, when, as far as the anime goes, I believe this came out right before Trunks shows back up. So, and it's also right before Goku lands on Earth, which is why the writers didn't realize that Goku could just turn into a Super Saiyan whenever he wanted. They were still mm-hmm. kind of under the impression that he had to be in a like rage induced state, basically. Yeah. And that makes some sense. Like one of my biggest gripes about this is the actual Super Saiyan transformation in this movie, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. How about we start at the beginning because that feels like an appropriate place to start. Let's do it. So before the credits, or I guess the title really shows up at the beginning of the movie, we get a recap of the end of Bardock colon the father of Goku, which uh, we're not really going to retread here. If you want a full treatment of that, just go and listen to episode seven of Kyo Cinema, where Adam and I talk about it and that other sort of Bardock thing that we like to talk about less um (laughs) (laughs) i think i think we summed it up with one word or one sentence yeah it was uh not good uh in fact it's the lowest rated thing of anything that we've watched from both of us right um there is a little bit of a difference here um being that when bardock is swallowed up by frieza's supernova we cut to another ship that looks exactly like frieza's and it's manned by a being that kind of looks like final form frieza whose name is cooler and he's got uh three cronies that uh, work underneath him or three lieutenants uh, and we can talk uh, about them here if you'd like if you want to describe them and talk about who their voice actors are I can run through some of that stuff as well sure so I'll give you a bit of the background Uh, this is another instance where their backgrounds are not explained at all in the movie uh, but they are in Daizenshu 6 Uh, and it explains that their names are Salsa and also Dore and Maze. Basically, they are salad dressings or condiments. Or not condiments. Yeah, I guess salsa's a condiment. Would you say mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, so there's mayonnaise, obviously salsa, and then Dore is a type of salad dressing. I wasn't familiar with it. Uh, however, salsa is a member of the same race as Ginyu Force's Jace, and that kind of makes sense. They've got similar appearances. They both have accents. Salsa's is French. Jace's was Australian. Who knows why? Maybe they're different parts of the same planet. Uh, Dore was apparently a wrestler from the Leaf- Lethal Lava Land planet. He won 300 matches straight and killed all of his opponents. And Naze is an involved amphibian from a planet covered with water. Okay, I knew and researched none of that. So all that was new <laughs> to me, and it was kind of awesome. I will say that uh, I did have in my notes that each of the three lieutenants do seem to have uh, Ginyu Force equivalents. So like Salza, like you said, would be kind of like Jace. Jace. yeah. Dore was kind of like Raccoon, and Knees was kind of like Berta. Yep, yep, for sure. Definitely. Berta definitely kind of had like an amphibian feel to him, didn't he? Yeah, and I really liked Naze's uh, design. He he was my favorite design of anything in the movie besides Cooler when he puts his little face mask thing on. Because Cooler in his final form without the little face mask thing, which probably doesn't make any sense, I didn't like the face. But when he puts his little mouth shieldy shredder face guard thing on, he looks awesome as oh, crap. Yeah, that's so, it's just an intimidating thing. Like, I, that little part of it was so cool. I was reading online that the the headgear that he gets because he kind of grows these like horn things people were like equating that to the predator but i thought it looked more like an alien queen kind of like frieza's alien queen form so you know your mileage your mileage may vary yeah yeah we we could talk about his final his final form design a little bit later but let's talk about uh voice actors here so for cooler we've got andrew chandler um who had some minor dragon ball roles as Gearin and captain yellow 
Uh, but in Dragon Ball Z, he was Spopovich. And uh, in Dragon Ball GT, he was General Rildo. So he oh, cool. spans the whole gamut from G nice. all the way to, or from uh, Dragon Ball all the way through GT. Um, and an interesting note, too, is the guy who voices Cooler for the Japanese, uh, the, the subtitled version, if you're watching it as God intended, is a guy named Ryusei Nakahoe. Uh, or Nakao, and he's known not only for voice and cooler, but pretty much all of the Frieza race. So Frieza, cooler, chilled, even in the uh, the Bardock episode of Bardock thing, and also even Frost in the super stuff. So like anything that looks remotely like Frieza, that guy had voiced in Japanese. That's we don't so get that cool. same treatment in English, but that is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was reading online that apparently the way he differentiates them is by the cadence. So like he comes up with a completely unique cadence for each one of them, but the voice is the same. That has, it's, it's neat. The closest thing that we really get is, uh, you know, the, the lady who voices Goku has basically done Goku and everything in Japanese oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But in the English, we don't, we don't get that kind of consistency really. So anyway, um, Salza's voice actor was a guy named Michael Marco, and this is his only voice acting credit that I could find. Uh, Nays is voiced by Bill Townsley, who is, uh, Kui and Guldo, and also Don Para from uh, Dragon Ball GT. So he spans into the non-canon material in the uh, series as well. And then Dore is done by Mike McFarland, who is Roshi and Yajirobe. Nice, nice. Well, right after we get the big intro where uh, Bardock is is doing his speech with Frieza, we kind of cut back over to Cooler, like you were saying, and his cronies, and Salsa wants to kill the Saiyan pod that he is seeing escape from the planet Vegeta, and Cooler is like, no, belay that order, don't do that, just let this thing live, like, I'm not cleaning up after Frieza anymore, and they do this thing, and I'm not sure how they did it, where they show, like, an in-pod view of Goku, right. and I'm yeah. like, I don't, did they hack like a, apparently some kind of camera inside there? I don't know how that worked, uh, but you know, space science or something, right? Uh, so Cooler doesn't want to clean up after his brother and I kind of don't blame him. I mean, he's, he's talking about how like Freeze is super arrogant. Let's not waste our time with this, which ends up coming back to totally bite him in the butt, but he makes a really good point here. He's talking about how arrogant Frieza is and thinking that he's destroying all the Saiyans at once. And he's like, for all Frieza knows that's King Vegeta in that pod. And I was right. like, holy cow, what if that's a cool series? Like, what if King Vegeta landed on Earth? Like, that would Ooh. be really interesting, right? Yeah, that's an interesting thought that I never had. I mean, we get we get a pretty good story with just Goku landing on Earth, though, oh, I'll say. For sure. But I mean, it would be a totally different story if it was King Vegeta. Because, like, I can only imagine that he'd want to find someone to, like, mate with and, and breed a whole bunch of, like, you know, half Saiyans and, like, conquer this planet and then return and take back over planet Vegeta. Like, it would just be totally nuts, I think. Yeah, a whole new Vegeta full of Vegetas yeah. is what would have happened and if then at Vegeta the very ended end, up landing on Earth. At the very end, it would be, like, his son representing Frieza and him fighting off. It would be this huge family story. It would be nuts. <laughs> I've thought about I, this very clearly. <laughs> th this is also where the racist comments begin, and they do not stop this entire movie. Yeah. Um, because Salza, I think, says, there goes the whole monkey farm, and it's just, it feels racist every time they call saying monkeys. Oh, it's And, super and it's racist. like common parlance uh, for anybody that is trying to be patronizing or dismissive of Saiyans. Yeah. And, uh, Salsa does it like three or four times in this movie, but he's not the only one. No, he's not. Uh, but we transition over to seeing Goku. He's at Kame House. He's showing Roshi just like how far he's come since he was a little kid training under him. I mean, he's literally separating the ocean with Ki Blast 
And Roshi says something like, wow, I can see mainland all the way from here. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, one thing to note about this movie, Goku does several Kamehameha blasts, but never once says the phrase, which I thought was very interesting. I thought that was weird, too. I don't think he says Kaioken at all, either. No, and I he know doesn't. he uses it later on in the movie a couple times. Yeah, like they don't call their special moves in this one, which I thought was an odd choice because it's not like that in any of the other movies. As far as I know, if it's an anime and you don't shout the thing that you're doing, it's not supposed to work. Well, it doesn't. That's what happens to Goku. He doesn't say Kamehameha and Cooler just flies right through it and punches his face off. So (laughs) I did have in my notes, too, when he was parting the sea with his beams. Where did those beams go and what what and who did they blow up? There's just some poor town on the other side of the ocean that's like just has no idea no what's idea. happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goku, savior of the earth and destroyer of the Pacific coast. Yes. You know. Well, back at home, Gohan is studying. Uh, Chi-Chi is trying to shoo off Icarus, but as she's going to, Goku actually starts to shoo off Icarus and is like, hey, get out of here. Gohan's got to do his homework. And poor Chi-Chi is like, WTF, mate. Like, he's got to be sick. There's no way that there's not something wrong with Goku. She even tells Gohan, like, all that fighting has finally just knocked some screws loose. He's got to be a vegetable. And uh, so Goku's walking around the house looking for something, and Chi-Chi is just freaking out. And he's telling Gohan, like, hey, you got to finish up your homework. We got to go camping. And she's like, wait, what? Camping? I didn't have a clue about this. And he's like, all right, we'll just finish your homework later. And uh, it's really funny because Chi-Chi is like, well, Goku, any sensible adult knows that there's something more important than, you know, or what's more important, camping or homework? And of course, Goku just says, well, of course, camping. Yeah, I so two things about this scene. What, what Maybe I was the only one who had this thought, but when you first hear Goku tell Icarus you need to leave so Gohan can finish his homework and Chi-Chi gets suspicious, they show Goku kind of. You see like an arm and a leg, but not his face. Right. And that made me think that... Like Goku had told Oolong, listen, transform into me. Just go loiter around the outside of my house. Don't let Chi-Chi get a good look at you, but I'm going to be off training with Roshi. And you just pretend to be me for a little while. Oh, Um, I hadn't considered that. But I don't think Oolong can do voices as well as Goku's voice sounded in that scene. No, he can't. But that was my first thought. I don't think Oolong can do voices at all. I don't think so either. Um, But then, yeah, then Goku, he changes his, he shifts gears so fast in this. He doesn't do, he doesn't pull this move in the Japanese. But in the English, he's like, leave Gohan alone. He's trying to finish his homework. And then like literally 60 seconds later, he's like, okay, come on. You're going to have to finish that later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like everyone's no, waiting on you. Come on. Let's go. Yeah. What there, I don't yeah, understand. You're not finishing your homework anymore. Why is Oolong here? I, like he's consistently in almost all of the Dragon Ball Z movies, but he brings nothing to the table. I submit to you that the reason that they are always taken Oolong on camping trips is in the event that Goku can't catch fish, they've got fresh pork on hand. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of because he's not a Z fighter. I mean, he doesn't... I just don't understand why they would include Oolong, but not, you know, any of the other people. Like, Yamcha has more credence to be there than Oolong does, I feel like. I mean, so you're saying that the only people that can hang out with the with the good fighters are other good fighters? They can't just have, like, chump friends? I like included Oolong? Yamcha. He's a chump friend. He's not a good fighter. But you're, what, so what does Yamcha have that makes him more deserving of going camping with Goku that, than Oolong? Well, Oolong consistently takes advantage of the party, for one thing. I mean, how often has he just taken Gohan out to try and go find the Dragon Balls without telling anybody and then getting into huge messes that everyone else has to clean up? I'm just saying, I think he's there for breakfast in a pinch. I think you're probably right. That can be the only reason why. 
Uh, but it just does seem weird to me that like he is consistently there in almost all of the movies. Hey, you need some comic relief, man. I mean, like Oolong is that in these movies. He is. Maybe almost exclusively it in this movie. Yeah, I would agree, actually. I think you're right. He, well, I kind of feel like Cooler's cronies are funny. Mm, if they are, I don't think that they're really intended to be in the way that Oolong typically is. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, speaking of his cronies, they're on a destroyed planet and they're telling Cooler that Frieza was killed by a Saiyan. And it's kind of weird because you're supposed to assume that this took place later, I think. So I don't know why it took them so long to get that information. Or maybe we're seeing like a blast in the past. I'm not super sure. Uh, but Cooler's pissed off that Frieza has disgraced his father and that you know, he failed, and he's also mad that Goku was able to beat someone in his family, and he says that, well, you know, all right, go prepare the ship, Salsa, we're, we're gonna go take care of these guys, because nobody attacks my family and lives. Yeah, and this makes him a pretty well-motivated bad guy, I think especially so. relative to the last couple that we've seen in the Dragon Ball Z movies. Like, he has a point of being at Earth that doesn't seem uh, arbitrary. Like, he has to go to Earth. So the, the, like, Lord Slug didn't have to go to Earth. Right. Tree of Might, Bardock could have found any other planet. They just happened to be in a place where the Earth was the healthiest looking thing around. You know, World's Strongest, you, you have a little bit more motivation there. And I think that we liked that. You know, mm-hmm. it was silly. It was very, you know, evil, genius, doctory. But, um, you know, Cooler's like, listen, he, he messed with my family. So I'm going to go and, and stick up for the pride of my family. And I think not, that. That speaks not only to Japanese audiences where pride of family is a much bigger thing than we typically think about it in the U.S., um, but it it still communicates here. Like, you mess with my family, you mess with me. I get that. Well, and it's not like he's even wanting to destroy Earth. He just wants to take out Goku. That's all he really cares about. Now, if he destroys Earth in the same time, that's totally fine. Uh, But I, I like to think that in his mind, he's like, okay, well, I'll go kill Goku and then just wipe out this planet and sell it. I mean, I was reading online. I don't know how they came up with this number, but apparently he owns something like 248 planets. Apparently Frieza had like 560 something, which is pretty nuts. So back on Earth, we've got all of our friends. They're hanging out making a stew. Goku is out fishing at the moment. It's just Gohan, Oolong, and Krillin. And, uh, you know, it's pretty typical. Goku is almost always fishing the first time we see him in a movie. Although he wasn't in this one, he still is given that bit of a kind of a callback. Uh, but the rest of them are just making this stew. And I kind of have to wonder if there's some kind of pork in the stew, because I felt like it looked like there could have been some, and whether or not that causes Oolong some issues. The, it being pork stew? Yeah. It's going to be fish stew. That's the whole thing. Yeah, that's, that's why Goku's fishing. That's true, I guess. They're going to bring some fish back. Well, he does catch a fish, but he claims that it's not nearly as big as it should be. It's huge, though. Like, all the fish in this in the Dragon Ball Z world are huge, I feel like. At least all the ones that were being shown. There's also a scene, too, where Gohan chops wood just like his dad did in the first episode of Dragon Ball. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'll actually, I found the uh, the clip on YouTube, so I will... Uh, I'll hunt that down and stick that in the show notes for you guys to see. But yeah, as Goku has come up uh, from beneath the surface of the lake and has retrieved this fish, he is the first to sense Cooler's henchmen kind of in the area. And then everyone in turn, except for Oolong, does so as well. Even Icarus seems to have the sense that there were bad guys about. Uh, And they're pretty sneaky because even though Gohan and Krillin are aware of them in the area... They both uh, are snuck to, uh, snuck up on uh, in Okode. Basically, Krillin is Okode uh, by Naze, and Dore just grabs Gohan by the tail and holds him up. And because uh, he wasn't the kind of higher-level Saiyan uh, soldier like Vegeta and Nappa was, that uh, that tail 
wasn't the kind of weakness that it was for, say, Raditz. And the, it's so funny, too, because he's like paddleboarding Gohan with his tail. It's a really funny scene. And I it, have that ex- paddle balling. Yeah. I have that exact same note in my in my notes. And initially, they think that Gohan is who killed Frieza, but when they read him with the scanner, his power level is only 50. And I'm guessing he's probably just keeping his power level low, like he's not powered up or anything. But this is another point that I kind of take issue with, because... Right after Namek, Gohan should have been really powerful. I mean, Guru unlocked his potential, and if, if this takes place after Trunks comes back, then they've been training for the androids, so he should be way more powerful than he's shown in this movie, because he pretty much gets taken out immediately every time he fights, which frustrated me a little bit. Like, he should have been able to at least put up a fight, I feel like. Uh, but that's just my opinion. And another funny thing about this is in the background, when, when uh, Doria is holding on to Gohan, you can actually see Salsa trying the soup or the stew. Yeah, he's, he eats almost all of it, and whatever he doesn't eat, he just throws away. Right. <laughs> uh, and then we have Goku runs up on the scene after this, and then they are like, oh, it's not the little Saiyan child with the tail, it's this other guy who is definitely the one that killed Frieza. In fact, they've heard, they even use the name Goku when they're telling... Uh, cooler about uh frieza's death in the japanese i can't remember if he did that in the english or not but um when goku shows up cooler's armored squadron or the cooler's armored core i can't remember which one they go by but they're one completely unfazed by goku who they know killed frieza and two they say that because he did so that he'd be a prestigious kill for them which feels like they're trying to say yeah we know you killed frieza but we're stronger than he is or maybe all three of us together are equal to or you know um close close in power level to Frieza. They just don't seem like they should be scared, and it feels like they ought to be. Yeah, you know? I thought that was kind of weird, too, because they definitely insinuate, but the way that they're talking is as if the three of them could have taken on Frieza, and I don't think that would have been the case. Uh, I mean, especially since they are aware of the death beam thing that the Frieza's right. race seem to be able to do. I mean, it seems like they would have known that they would have been killed off pretty quickly. Uh, but the the fighting ensues, and it's a really cool fight. I mean, Goku is able to take out Dore fairly easily. I mean, he he dodges a few moves here and there, but they, they end up in the sky, and they're kind of all three facing each other. Goku's fending them off, and then he sort of uses their powers against them. Like, I think Naze is firing a blast, and he dodges out of the way, and it hits Dore, and... It's it's a pretty cool scene, but it was really reminiscent of when Bardock was fighting on that planet at the very beginning, uh, when he was fighting off uh, Frieza's cronies, and it made yeah. me think that if if Goku had used some kind of like cloud or powder up in the the sky, it would have been just like that scene. It would have been a really cool callback. Yeah, the first hit landed in this entire fight is Nays kicking Dory in the face because Goku was able to slip out of Dory's grip, like. Up until that point, everybody was either blocking or dodging everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Goku deflects a sneaky beam from Salsa into Nye- into Naze's head, but Naze, it looks like it decapitates him, but he just has the ability to retract his head entirely into his body. Which is so cool. Uh, it is cool. I'm telling you, Naze is a really, really cool design. Yeah. Um, and his his character definitely, I think, had the most personality out of the three, even though Salsa gets the lion's share of the uh, screen time as well. I agree. Uh, but the whole fight comes screeching to a halt when cooler shows up uh and this freaks out goku because he believes that at first at least that cooler is frieza yeah 
And he tells Gohan to stay back. He says something like, it's not uh, it's not the best place for you right now. And Cooler says, it's not the best place for anyone right now. Yes. <laughs> Such a cool Cooler line. has some <laughs> straight gangster lines in this movie. It's so good. He's just that's, so... That's one, of the, that's one of them for sure. Yeah, he's just so like full of this like assurance that nothing can touch him. And so he's got some of the best lines out of all of the DBZ villains, I feel like. Yep, and he so Cooler goes to snipe Gohan out of the uh, out of the air with his death beam eyes. So we get eye beams, no mouth beams, but there's an eye beam. Uh, but Goku does manage to intercede, and he wraps Gohan up, and they fall into the river. And Goku is smoking significantly out of his back, so much so that the smoke actually like emanates up out of the river, even as they fall over a waterfall. And Cooler's pretty convinced that that didn't kill him, so he even blasts at uh, down at the foot of the waterfall, making this really cool like crater effect and the water rushing back in to fill it in. It was really well animated. That was oh yeah, and uh, that now he's starting to realize because he seems to have survived his eye laser death beams that he begins to understand how this thing might have this this guy this Goku this Saiyan might have been able to beat Frieza, um, and he even starts to wonder if he's a Super Saiyan because of course like. That whole race is like anytime a Saiyan is strong and has a chance, then they're automatically a Super Saiyan. Well, that makes sense because they were warned by like their great, 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 great grandfather, you know. Chilled. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, sure, they all know about the legendary Super Saiyan that can kick their butts. Well, the the Cooler's Armored Squatter Corps flying over the area at Cooler's uh, command, trying to find the bodies of Goku because, well, or... Goku and Gohan, because like I said, Cooler believes that he definitely survived. The scouters aren't picking him up, so they just go with like this scorched earth policy and just begin blowing everything up. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think there's a moment, too, where like Dore says something like, that's why we're the best, because we're thorough. Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But Gohan and Goku end up holed up in a cave, um, which does kind of collapse as they're blasting everything. Uh, And there was a a funny exchange too. after they had done all the beaming where one of them was like, do you think we ever did it? And one of them just goes, nope. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Well, Icarus wakes up Krillin and Oolong is there. Like, I guess he was also trying to wake up Krillin. Um, and again, I have in my notes, I wonder why they included Oolong. <laughs> uh, but uh, whenever we, he wakes up, it's like they start flying around looking for Gohan and Goku. Gohan is protecting his dad in the cave. Um, and it's like you said, they're just absolutely raining down key blast all over the place. Uh, they do eventually find Gohan and Goku, uh, Icarus and Krillin and Oolong. I, I mean, uh, they find him in some rubble and it sounds like Icarus is able to basically sniff out Gohan. That seems to be how they found him. Uh, right. Gohan seems to be fine, but Goku's really badly hurt. And it's funny cause like Goku's pretty much on his death's bed. Uh, I mean, it seems like he's very, very, very weakened and he's like, how are the animals? Like okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about th- let's talk about this exchange. Icarus sniffs out this collapsed cave, and Krillin is at the mouth of this thing, uh, albeit on the other side of some rocks. And he says, "Gohan." And Gohan asks, "Who's there?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, "My dad's hurt real bad." And then Krillin asks, "Is he there with you?" As if like, why? How had that? Maybe they had gotten separated. But then Gohan's response is, "My dad said that there were trapped animals, and he's worried about them." And so like Goku, in the English at least is like PETA in this entire movie. He's concerned with animals now. He's concerned with Icarus later. He revives this dead bird. Like he is all about like uh, animal conservation, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just kind of weird in this movie. It's weird and out of place. Like, I don't think Goku's ever been that worried about it. Yeah, but 
in the Japanese, it's Krillin. Krillin is the one who's concerned with the animals. He's the one that tells uh, Icarus and Oolong to go and rescue nearby animals here. And later on, he's the one that asks if Icarus is okay. Oh, so wow. it's like, I wonder why they for some reason, that. they put, I don't know. It was strange. It is strange. Well, Icarus helps a bear. Oolong helps a rabbit. Krillin is, uh, ha- has to save Oolong because as he's helping this rabbit, some boulders fall down, which is bad news because Krillin uses a key blast to break up this pillar or this rock. And that alerts coolers bad guys so they see like the tick up on the uh, scouters they realize where they're at uh so this is just no good luckily though a pterodactyl just flies by nays um yeah. and it's his scouter that chirps so he just thinks that that's what set it off which but i felt like was really weird uh yeah maybe but but later on like icarus takes a sensu bean and it sits off the scouter so i mean animals definitely seem to have power levels at least they were consistent with that part of it yeah that's true it just seemed weird to me that they had that high of power levels i guess enough to to like check off on something on a scouter that seems kind of odd to me uh, but regardless, Krillin sends Gohan to go get some sensu beans. Uh, and of course, he can't fly because that would, I guess, tip off the guys that, you know, where they're at and what they're doing. Uh, so right. he sends him on Icarus. And uh, Gohan heads off to Korin Tower. And of course, he's got to stay at a very high altitude. And Salsa is actually complaining up in the air that he can't see anything in the dark. And it's great because Gohan is literally flying over the top of him. Yeah, that's all it took was uh, apparently the uh, the Cooler's Armored Corps can't look up. Like dogs yeah. in uh, see, Shaun of the Dead. I would argue that if Icarus is flying here, they should have been able to catch his power level. I mean, when he's flying back, I guess he gets a bit of a speed boost, but he was flying away pretty quickly too there. So Yeah, I didn't like that particular part. I, it, it was just one of those things where it was just like, I guess it makes some sense that the animal's power level wouldn't necessarily spike just flying naturally, but maybe the sensu bean did something uh, unnatural to Icarus. I guess, so. but I the know. sensu beans have never been shown to power people up just restore them back to 100 percent. right so yeah it's strange it's not handled supremely well yeah but that's okay yeah um so but then of course they they send gohan off and when he gets to corn tower you'd think that he would just be able to fly then because he's not no longer at the battlefield but i guess scouters do have planetary range like they can be off a planet and and sense power levels so i guess maybe that's their thinking but gohan insists on climbing the tower from like halfway up instead of well, flying himself up there i think that's more of a canonical thing because originally corin wouldn't actually deal with anybody that didn't climb up the tower like you had to climb up the tower if you got up there by unnatural means he wouldn't i don't even think you could get up there by unnatural means originally so that was kind of What's, a big thing like he couldn't fly icarus up to the top like icarus couldn't have flown that high basically so, it's interesting that you say that because in the English version, this the conversation that takes place between Corin and Gohan is about Gohan being rude and not bringing Corin a gift. Right. But in the Japanese, Corin says, you cheated by not climbing the tower from the bottom, so go down and do it the right way. Yeah. And and so that makes some sense of what your what your explanation is too. Oh yeah. And I, I like that too. But I mean, he explains to Corin like, Hey, my dad's in a whole lot of trouble. Like I just need some sensu beans. Can you help me out? And it's like you said, originally Corin turns him away, but then Yajirobe just comes out of nowhere and tosses him a bag full of beans. And he's like, look, I, grow the beans. I'll do whatever the hell I want with them. I mean, he's very forceful about giving these beans to Gohan and uh, Corin's not super happy about it, but I don't think there's a whole lot he can do. And he even asks like, why do I let you live up here? Which I think is a yeah. great question. I have no idea why Yajirobe's up there. Supposedly, I think canonically, he's been training under Korin. You know, in Dragon Ball, Goku has to like 
basically fight Corrin in a way to get to some mystical water to help him power up. And Yajirobe has been doing that for like ever. Yeah. Quote unquote mystical water. Right. It just turns out to just be water. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just have in my notes that uh, Yajirobe and Corrin have a good old sitcom squabble. Yeah. Uh, standing there where this is like arguing like a married couple in front of Gohan. But the long and the short of it is. Yajirobe does toss Gohan the sensu beans and then he also which which were in a bag like that's typically how they're moved from Corrin's tower to wherever else they're supposed to go but he also intercepts one that Corrin was going to eat and tosses it to Gohan who instead of putting it in the bag that he still had out and in his hand and that wasn't tied shut he shoves it down in front like into his belt and I just have in my notes for plot appropriate reasons because that's the only reason why he would have done that. So Gohan drops off the tower. Icarus catches him and he starts to fly back. Uh, we're treated to a nice little scene where it's morning time. Goku's asleep and he's like surrounded by all these animals randomly. I guess it's animals they saved or something. I don't know. There's a weird animal thing happening with Goku in this movie. Uh, but Krillin thinks he's dead and Goku wakes up just long enough to be like, no, I'm alive. And Krillin actually has a funny moment here. He says, well, there's no sense in guarding a dead guy. <laughs> Krillin has never heard of necromancers, apparently. Right, yeah. Uh, so we transition over to see uh, Dore and Naze and Salsa. They're up in the air, and Dore thinks that everyone's dead, but Naze, rightfully so, says it doesn't matter what they think. It really only matters what Cooler thinks. And uh, we're treated to a scene with Icarus, who's about to drop out of the sky. Gohan feeds him a bean. He flies off, and this triggers all three of them to realize that someone is coming back. It, it spikes on the scouters, which, again, we've talked about. Yeah, it, it turns Icarus into a rocket with a power level that causes scouters to pick them up. And in the Japanese, they explicitly say that that was the case. Right. Um, like, they they say those words, basically, Gohan does. Um, but again, Salza interrupts. He calls Gohan monkey boy because he's racist, like most people are against the, uh, the Saiyans. And he shoots Icarus out of the sky. Icarus is just falling, presumably, to his death. Uh, but Gohan does catch him initially. Uh, and then he just gets batted around like a ping pong ball by the Cooler's Armored Squad for his trouble. Um, he ends up caught by Dore in this super menacing and aggressive way where Dore's hand is massive and he just has one hand grasping Gohan's head from the top, like from the crown of his head. He calls it the can just, opener attack. Yeah, he's just holding Gohan by the crown of his head out away from his body. And Dore wants to know what's in the bag. And he calls him Monkey Boy 2 in the English. Gohan won't let it go, so Dore goes to do this can opener attack, which is just squeezing the top of Gohan's head until it cracks open. Um, but he luckily doesn't get to go that far. The The move isn't able to be completed because he gets shot in the back by Piccolo. Yeah, it's always nice that Piccolo shows up just in the nick of time. Uh, Salsa is actually kind of surprised that there's a Namekian here, and Dore wants to know why he isn't on his planet. But Nez says, like, oh, well, Frieza blew it up, so that totally makes sense. Which, I agree, like, they don't realize that Piccolo would have been here for a very long time, but I think it gives more credence to the idea that the planet was blown up, and the Namekians were on Earth, and they may have just been wished back, and these guys don't know that there's a new Namek yet. Because if I remember correctly, yeah. new Namek is in a totally different spot. Uh, so I still like my theory here. This just holds true. Yeah, there's more racial slurs because Dore calls uh, Piccolo a toad. Um, and then he's just making all these death threats. He's like, you're going to die Piccolo. And Piccolo's not like, he says not likely cause I've seen you fight, which I thought was another gangster, uh, line for Piccolo. <laughs> yeah. And he ends up 
trapping Dore in his cape, which is weighted, and then he elbows him all the way to the ground, and he gets engaged by uh, Naze, which is, he's just buying time for Gohan to, to go deliver the beans. He even shouts at him, like, get the sensu beans to your dad, dude. Um, Dore ends up going in hot pursuit uh, for of Gohan, and Piccolo sends a beam after him. Uh, and it's funny because uh, Naze was between Piccolo and Dore when he fires this beam, and so he retracts his head and says that uh, he had missed, he had been missed by Piccolo's beam. But Salza is a little bit sharper and has a, a bird's eye view of what's going on and shouts to Nays that he wasn't aiming for you. And so this beam is in hot pursuit of Dore. And it's really funny because Dore is chasing Gohan and now this beam is chasing Dore. But then Dore and the beam end up flying past Gohan. Right. <laughs> like it's like they've they've overtaken uh, the the person that Dora is actually in, in, uh, in pursuit of and Goku or Piccolo rather does end up, uh, given this beam just a little bit more oomph and it smashes into Dora and reduces him to sketch. Yeah. Piccolo then goes over to take out uh Naze who like hits him with this weird electric blast. And so he's like standing there stunned. But when Naze shows up to finish him off, he like takes it and redirects it back on the Naze, which like fries him is pretty wild. Seemingly, uh, it was kind of an interesting scene there. Yeah, I didn't fully understand what happened there. I was like, he transfers Naze's beam back to Naze, question mark? Piccolo um, randomly has, like, interesting powers that are never really explained. Yeah, but he does char Naze from, like, head to toe. So Naze is dead, Dore's dead. That leaves us Salsa and Cooler on the on the planet. Uh, and so Goku, Piccolo, I'm going to keep saying that, Piccolo shoots two beams at Salsa, who just swats them away, and they end up flying through the forest below, and it's this really well-animated scene, in my opinion, where uh, Piccolo's arms are extending. He's doing the demon hands thing, and they're weaving in and out of tree branches as they're trying to close uh, close upon Salsa, and it's just super cool, especially when he's retracting them, and yeah. they're like, it's it's wild. Like, the way that it's animated is really cool. The demon hands are so cool. I love that move. They are, and I love I love seeing them every time. Um, and then Salsa uses a beam sword before Vegito and Zamasu made it cool, and he's trying to slice through everything, trees and Piccolo's shirt and all sorts of stuff, but uh, Piccolo does manage to arrest the hand and kick him up and out of the forest, and then Cooler interrupts the fights all over again and just blasts Piccolo through the chest. Yeah, like one shot kills him pretty much. I mean, Piccolo seems like he's out for the count, but what's interesting is when Cooler originally shows up on the scene, Piccolo thinks it's Frieza as well, and he kind of freaks out. Uh, well, Gohan shows up, with the Senso beans and like I have in my notes, is Icarus just dead? Like Gohan doesn't seem to care at all about him. Goku does though. Goku's like, Hey, where's Icarus? Which I think is just so right. funny. Gohan's like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I, okay. And again, it's Krillin in the Japanese who asked that question. Right. Well, he's handing over the Sensu beans and they're all excited, but Salsa shoots the beans out of Gohan's hand, burning all of them. Krillin gets pissed off. He goes after Salsa and actually fights for once in this. He doesn't just get KO'd right immediately. It's a pretty nice little scene here. He gets a, a bit of a redeeming moment. Uh, but Gohan remembers he's got the hidden beans, so he gives it to Goku. Salsa takes out Krillin, and then he also takes out Gohan. Uh, I mean, really yeah. easily. Gohan does not put up a good fight at all, and I feel like he should have been able to, but that's okay. Yeah, Salsa's now outside, assuming that he's just going to be able to walk up to this cave, see the injured Goku, and just shoot him and be done with this thing. And he's baffled at how it is that this Goku guy that's now injured and in this cave could have possibly killed Frieza. But as he's having these thoughts and making his way towards the cave, his scouter begins to climb and eventually explodes. And he's trying to figure out what's going on as Goku emerges from this cave 
and begins to monologue as Goku does. Uh, and so he says, hurting the innocent people is something that I can't tolerate. If I were you, I'd get off this planet. And then he says, trust me, you don't want any of this, <laughs> which feels like the most like 90s wrestler thing ever that Goku has said. Absolutely. You don't want any of this. There's part of me that uh, realized that Dragon Ball Z is pretty much just anime WWE. Yeah, oh, I've heard multiple people say that before. I didn't grow up on wrestling, but I, like people that I know that did are like it's it's wrestling, but with like flying, uh, beam shooting. Men. Yeah, that's all yeah. The, the difference is. <laughs> Which I think some of those wrestlers cooler, would have you believe they can do key blasts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some wrestlers that regularly. There's a there's a tag team. Oh yeah, modern era. T- uh, uh, ta- tag team wrestlers that dress up as Dragon Ball characters occasionally, like, which is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I've seen that. That's pretty awesome. But Cooler answers Goku's final statement, you don't want any of this, by saying, oh, but I do say and I do. And he's holding Piccolo's limp body. And in the English version, he asks also what he should do with the body. And Goku shouts, put him down, Frieza. And then he's explained, it's not Frieza, you dummy. It's Cooler. It's his older brother. And Salsa says, soon you will be at his mercy. And then Cooler drops one of his other gangster lines because he says, what mercy? And he drops Piccolo and then just blasts him right in front of Goku. It was awesome. It was really cool. I don't know how Piccolo isn't completely dead. Uh, I mean, man, it's nuts. And then Salsa shows up and like hits Goku right in the face, but Goku's pissed at this point. He just absorbs it entirely while addressing Cooler. So like Salsa, I think at this point, realizes that he's basically not worth being in this fight. Uh, But the fighting does start up and it's it's nuts. Like it, immediately right out the gate, I mean, Cooler and Goku are just going at it. They end up fighting underwater, which is very reminiscent of the Frieza fight. I feel like they both fought underwater a couple of times. And Cooler actually compliments Goku. Like they come out from under the water. Cooler standing in front of this waterfall, and he's like on this little mini island. And he says, like, "Wow, I I totally understand how Frieza would have had a hard time fighting you, and and how you gave him so much trouble." And he's like, "You know, I I didn't like Frieza. I was going to kill Frieza eventually. He was a pest, and he." was always trying to find an edge but i actually have another transformation i am much stronger and we see this transformation it's so cool i mean he gets huge he's got these like horns that grow out of his hair out of his hair out of his head yeah i have uh, the transformation makes him bulk way up and grow several inches pointy bits emerge where there weren't previously pointy bits shiny bits emerge where there weren't previously shiny bits and then his shoulders turn into these weird loop things. Yeah. Uh, and then I still think I said this at the beginning of the episode that his face just doesn't look right until he deploys this little mask thing, which I think is also a strange concept that he, like his body is deploys it's that like mask thing. It's like a mouth guard. Like he just doesn't want to get yeah. hit in the face or like in the mouth, I guess. He likes his teeth in this form. Yeah, he tells Goku, like, you know, uh, you think that I'm in my final form because this is as far as Frieza ever got, but I get, I can take this one further. And then he's like, you're going to be the first person to see it, and then you're going to die. And I'll also point out, too, that in the Japanese, Cooler is smarter because when they're fighting, I think maybe just before they go underwater, Cooler verbalizes uh, or or thinks one. We definitely hear, like, his voice explain that or connect these dots. This is the kid that we let escape planet Namek. And in the English or planet uh, Vegeta in the English version, though, he doesn't seem to have that epiphany until he's like dying on the side. Yeah. And I liked the the Japanese version makes cooler not seem like a complete moron in that one sense. Yeah. I also have in my notes that his voice, his voice chords must have changed too, because his voice gets like way deeper. It's totally different. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. But Goku nopes out of there. I mean, he doesn't even want anything to do with this at this point. But Cooler comes in with a total slam. I mean, he's just absolutely taking Goku out. He's super, super, super fast. He pins Goku to the bottom of the lake and then like lets the lake implode on him. And he just laughs and says, I love doing that. And in my notes, I have, I love it too. Like, it's such a cool yeah. scene. It is super awesome. And Goku does eventually get out of the water and he uses Kaioken without saying it. So did he really use Kaioken? I submit maybe not. But visually, they're telling you that he's using the Kaioken. And he's still not fast enough for Cooler. Like, Cooler not only anticipates where Goku's going to be, he dodges and parries and punches. Um, and he eventually just teleports behind a retreating Goku and Goku just kind of slams into him. At which point, Cooler resumes the butt whooping. I mean, he's just is laying waste to Goku. Yeah. Um, he slams him eventually, so hard into the ground that it splits the earth in two, and yes. the lake like goes into it. It's so crazy looking. It it is a cool visual. After that, like Goku's shirtless, so like you know now that like it's about to amp, <laughs> yes. like just amplify. It's going to get nuts. And I have in my notes that. Having watched some Dragon Ball Super recently, I miss the old animation style so much. Like, Goku's old look, he's just this huge, bulky human, or Saiyan, I guess, but he's just drawn to be, like, a monstrously huge person. And now, I mean, he's really powerful, but they're all really slim looking. And I, I don't know, right. I just miss that old look, man. There's something about that. They all look like Schwarzenegger. They just have these huge chests and huge arms. It's just so cool looking. I agree. And I also had in my notes that Goku emerges from the lake without his shirt, so shit just got real. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> literally what I said, so now shit's about to get real. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've said that in every movie. If Goku loses his shirt, somebody's somebody's about to lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's never Goku that does. Right. But he uses the Kaioken once again, and this time he fires a Kamehameha, again, without saying either of these moves. And Cooler just freaking straight flexes on Goku. This is such a cool scene, and it's one of my favorite visuals of anything Dragon Ball Z that we've watched in movies so far, because he just flies straight up and through this Kamehameha, this enhanced Kamehameha, and he sp springs up out of the top of it and just punches the crap out of Goku, and it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, like, the way that it is animated is awesome. And so it finally ends with this volley and a couple of kicks that just indent Goku into this like cliff face and he's stuck there. And I think that's the first time too. Like the Kamehameha has almost always been like a finishing move for a lot of villains. And so to see a villain just fly through it, like it's butter, nothing. I mean, it was such a cool, like that gave this movie three stars alone. That one scene. Yeah. I want to say that when he, the first time that he, cause it was him, Roshi and Krillin all fired one at uh, Dr. Wheelow in World's Strongest mm -hmm. and it didn't do much. And then, of course, they fired it at the at uh, Lord Slug's spaceship planet thing uh, in the last movie and it didn't do anything. But otherwise, it's been pretty, pretty much like fun. outside of the movies in the, the canonical universe. It's super powerful. But in the movie universe, it feels like it's just a run of the mill key blast. Uh, it's used as like a almost like a litmus test or the thing that says. If 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 Goku is doing this thing or this thing and also this thing, like so the two things here is Kaioken, which is one of his, you know, multiplying super moves, and then also the Kamehameha, which is his biggest best beam, and those two things combined do nothing, then you know that that threat is like legit. Yeah. It's scary. Like this is a real threat. Uh, well, Cooler at this point tells Goku, like, you know what? Frieza deserved to die if, if you beat him, which I thought was just such an awesome insult to both of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cooler is just dumping on Frieza this entire movie. I really. mean, it's pretty clear that he doesn't like it. He definitely wasn't daddy's favorite. That's for sure. 
He, well, he doesn't even mention daddy. That's the. Um, I mean, at the very beginning, he does. He says he shouldn't have disgraced his father. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. He does. I mean, the whole reason he's service. going to kill Goku is because he feels like his dad's legacy has been disgraced, not because he killed yeah, Frieza. You're right. Not really. Uh, because yeah. he just wanted. The only reason he might be upset about that is because he wanted to kill Frieza himself. Uh, but at this point in the movie, Cooler claims himself to be the supreme master of the universe, the great destroyer, the taker of life. He says he's going to annihilate everyone on this planet. And a bird like lands near a seemingly dead Goku. And, and they use a couple of repeat scenes here of Krillin and Gohan falling over again, like randomly. I don't that was weird and felt unnecessary. Uh, but this this bird dies and like Cooler's up in the air giving off his evil monologue and Goku grabs it and, and proclaims that none of these creatures or these people did anything wrong, so he can't let this happen, which, I don't know, th- this felt really weird. Like, Goku has this weird sense of morality, I feel like, in this this movie, where the whole reason he wants to destroy Cooler is because he's hurting people that didn't do anything, but, you know, it's not like Cooler wasn't just supremely evil to begin with. That should have been good enough, I feel like. Right, but Goku always moralizes that way. I guess like, so. With everybody yeah um it just so happens that it's not the fact that cooler and his men beat up on his son and his best friend it's this little bird it's tweety uh that really drives this uh this particular uh poignant moment home for goku and i'm being a little facetious but that's kind of how it's framed and um he powers up but it's all done off screen and so he shouts but we don't see even a flash of yellow in the hair or anything like that it's no. all done off screen and then all of a sudden you have uh, this bird that survived and Cooler saying he's different, he's changed. And then you look over and Goku's got that golden Super Saiyan here. And I will say this. I did watch, of course, the movie with the um, English uh, audio tracks, which had a bunch of more rock music oh, to yeah. it. The best one happened right here because they put on Deftones Change yep. for the Super Saiyan transformation. And I was like, see, that makes some sense. That's a good choice for uh, this particular moment. Now, it did go on a little too long. Um, but it was still cool. I was like, that that song makes like thematically appropriate sense for this particular scene. I do like here too, where like Cooler is powering up as Goku is basically dying and all these rocks and debris are like floating up into the air. But then when Goku transforms, it's like he cancels out that power or something and brings them back to the ground. I, I don't really know how it works, but it's a cool visual effect. I had this in my notes too, that Cooler goes to beam Goku and Goku catches his hand. And then he says, I can't let you take your unhappiness out on other people anymore. And I just have in my notes that Goku should just pull up a chase lounge and whip out a pen and notebook and like be the psychiatrist and psychologist that he's seemingly trying to be here. Like he's just psychoanalyzing cooler in that line. And I was like, what? He was helping helping (laughs) Gohan with his homework. Gohan's in a psychology course. It totally makes sense. Cooler's just like, I kill when I want what I want. The weak die and the strong survive. And Goku has his own gangster line where he's just like, all right, if you want to play by those rules, let's do it. And then they begin to fight. Again. Right. It's such a, I love this movie. This like that part alone was just so like, ah, oh, this feels awesome. Uh, well, Goku has powered up enough now. Like all of his blows are landing. He's doing a buttload of damage. And Cooler says he actually loves it. Like he thinks this is great. He says, Goku, you're just too much. Like at first he's kind of amused by all of this. Uh, but Goku takes on like a full key blast from Cooler. And I think at that point, Cooler is just kind of like, ah, oh, crap. 
So as he is letting this key blast roll off of himself, he looks up and sees Cooler with this massive supernova in the air. And it's, I mean, it's equivalent to the one that Frieza uses to destroy Namek. And Cooler is like, I bet you weren't expecting this. I can gather energy way faster than my brother can. You never should have taken your eyes off of me. Uh, I think at this point, Cooler realizes like, I got to get this guy dead. Like this has got to get nipped in the bud or he could take me out. Yeah, so he hurdles this thing at Goku, and Goku tries to stop it, but it's driving him towards the Earth. And this is a question that I've had about a lot of similar scenes in Dragon Ball Z. It's like, when are these things supposed to blow up? Because it's happened. it happens here, it's happened with the spirit bomb before, where you would think that as soon as it made contact either with the being who is trying to oppose it or the ground beneath them that it would explode. But this thing, the supernova gets like a third of the way buried into the earth and then it starts getting pushed back. Like yeah. at what point was it going to detonate? See, what was the threshold for detonation for these? My head cannon for this is that if someone is intercepting a blow like this, they're using their key to keep it contained, which is why it's so difficult for them to like, I mean, Goku is like, physically getting pushed down into the earth he's weakening because he's trying to control this thing with his own key otherwise it would have just exploded at least that's how i justified in my head i i think that's a fair explanation it's also why they get so like exhausted after deflecting a beam or absorbing one is because they were using their own key and their own power to kind of deflect it effectively or keep it under control but it's also kind of a flex like if you can do that that means you're stronger than that blast Right, right. And these blasts tend to be stronger than the whatever the base power level of the the its its sender right. was. Like they tend to be a higher level even than, you know, a scouter level. That they, they tend to if you were to have a scouter on Goku when he fires a Kamehameha, that scouter number would rise right, with that right. Because it's a huge gathering of power and energy. So that, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And Goku's I mean, to Goku's credit here, he's talking about he was frustrated with the fact that he knows that Cooler has murdered millions of innocent people. So he's not just concerned about the Earth, though he is, of yeah. course. I have uh, in my notes too, like these other planets too. Millions of people, he probably more like billions of people, especially if oh, yeah. he's got more than two hundred planets. Right, right. But Goku does manage to send this supernova back with a Kamehameha propulsion system, and it blasts Cooler into space, and Cooler is already planning for what he's going to do when he manages to roll off the side of this thing. He's like, when I get off this beam, I'm going to rip you to pieces. And then in the English, he realizes that he's heading towards the sun, which is the star of our solar system, and he has the thought that maybe he'd just blow that up and let everybody freeze to death instead. Yeah, yeah, I thought (laughs) that was great. So I decided to do some math here and determine... Like, because this scene is nuts, because he goes from Earth to being at the sun and, like, getting blown up under the sun, basically. Like, the, the beam is pushing him into the sun. So I wanted to figure out how fast he was going, because this scene is kind of given to us as if it's happening. Not like this happened to Cooler, but this is currently happening to him, because we transition back to Goku, who's, like, laying on the ground and says, Oh, great, I did it. As if he felt the key, like, go away or something. So... In my mind, that means he had to have gotten from Earth to the sun within roughly 29 seconds. And and the way I timed this was from the moment that blast started propelling him towards space and the moment he hit the sun. It's like 28.5 something seconds, right? Which means he okay. was going 17.83 times the speed of light. Or if you want to kind of know what that may mean in miles per hour, 11,957,142,857 miles per hour, which is like insane. 
That is a heck of a number. Yeah. <laughs> I did a similar thing once to uh, a scene in the second Matrix movie. I wrote a post about it on Nerds on Earth. That was the question. The title was basically how fast can Neo fly? Because there's a scene where he definitely like is like, oh, no, I'm in this specific mountain range and I have to get back to like L.A. or whatever it is. And I put a stopwatch on and then determined how fast he was going. So uh, that's a fun exercise. Just, you know, we don't even know if exactly that many seconds passed in the in the real time of the movie versus viewing time. Um, but it's fun. It's the only numbers that we have to work with. So it's fun to do that. Yeah, math. it is. You know, you would think that going that fast would totally fry him. But I guess there's no resistance yeah. in space. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe he's using his key like you yeah, were talking about earlier. That's true. Which means he would be really powerful still. So anyways. But he does get reduced to sketch. Right. Um, and, and this is where in the English, he, this is where he has the epiphany. Oh, no, I might have done this to me because I, I could have. Th- th- he's the guy that I could have blown up earlier. Yeah. Um, and it's weird, too, because the supernova and the Kamehameha are apparently not quite enough like not quite strong enough to blow up the sun, but the movie kind of makes you think that it did for about three or four seconds because the whole screen goes black and then there's, there's no sound. And then the sun kind of breaks through that blackness because how devastating would it have been if Goku inadvertently blew up the sun? Like it's one thing to blow up the satellite that is our moon, you know, but (laughs) to have accidentally blown up the sun would have been horrifically and catastrophically devastating for everything. They've blown up the moon like three times. And that would also be catastrophic to the planet, to be fair. I I had in my notes here that this is another science mystery where all the scientists on the earth had to have been like, what the hell just happened? Right. It is a total eclipse of the sun, but without anything between the sun and the and the uh, right. earth at all, well, <laughs> besides cooler and a big old giant beam. So Goku's laying on the ground. He's all out of energy, and he's just like, I did it, uh, with a little help from the sun. And Krillin's there. He's randomly okay. I mean, they didn't have sensu beans. Dende's not around healing them. I have no idea how Krillin's fine. Gohan seems to be totally fine, too. And they're all just kind of laughing and chucking it up. And like, even Icarus is there. And and Krillin's like, way to go, champ. I mean, it's just such a weird, campy ending, I kind of feel like, to this really huge, like, badass fight. Uh, but they ask where Piccolo is. And Gohan says, oh, he'll show up when we least expect it. And then some rubble starts stirring. And they, they think it's Piccolo. Gohan runs towards it. But it's actually Salsa. He pops up and... Out of nowhere, a special beam cannon comes and gets fired right through his chest, which was kind of neat, but I thought it would have been better if Piccolo had been behind Salsa and they just saw this special beam cannon like erupt from his chest. That Yeah, that would have been that cool. would have been really cool. This that felt very much borrowed from Lord Slug too, this whole ending scene where Piccolo, you know, they they did the same thing at the end of Slug. This is almost exactly the end of Slug. So is um the the way that Piccolo comes onto the scene where Go Gohan is being overwhelmed, and then suddenly there's Piccolo. Yeah. You know, he's kind of um, used like that so. in all the movies. In fact, I have in my notes: ha- have all of the Dragon Ball Z movies ended on Piccolo, like either floating in the air next to a waterfall, or like drinking from a yeah. waterfall, or? Well, I have in my notes. I said we end the movie with Piccolo at the closest thing to a waterfall that the current landscape affords, and then him harumphing which is just like old times. Yeah, but how is he okay? <laughs> like, none of them should be fine based off of the last five minutes that we saw. So I I don't know. I don't like that all of them are just randomly fine. It feels like if they were, they could have helped out somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have any answers there besides they 
they don't want us to be in like at the end of the movie being like, well, what about Piccolo and Gohan and Krillin? Right, yeah. <laughs> so they just show us, ah, they're fine, guys. It's, it's fine. Okay. Don't think yeah. too hard about it. Well, I mean, at the end of the movie, we do see Icarus there, but this is actually the last time he shows up. I, I guess maybe Gohan just totally forgets about him after this movie because he is not. Yeah. Hey, the only other time he appears is in the driver's license episode of Dragon Ball Z. No more higher dragon. Yeah. This is it. I kind of like Icarus. He's a fun character that's just randomly around. Yeah, I, I mean, he's fine, and but he, I mean, I don't even recall him being in the the driver's license episode, but it's been a long time since I've seen any of the Dragon Ball Z stuff, to be yeah. honest, the show. Yeah. It's been a couple years since I rewatched it all. Well, man, what do you, uh, what do you think about this movie? Did you, do you want to rate it now, or do you want to get the Raditz scale and the Holler Minutes out of the way? Yeah, let's save rating for last. Let's talk Holler Minutes, because that's usually a pretty quick deal. Um, I had 1.4 holler minutes for Cooler's Revenge, which makes it, yeah, I mean, it's top five, but to be honest, we've only covered like eight or nine movies or 10 movies total. So it's kind of in the middle. It's bell curved. Yeah. You know, and there's only one Saiyan. In like by the time we have multiple Saiyans, that's when I think the those holler minutes are going to get into like two or three minutes, I bet. Yeah. One Saiyan, two transformations, really. Um, and that's it. So, you know, it had an average amount of hollering, I think, uh, compared to the rest of the movies that we've covered so far. And then for the Raditz scale, um, again, we're at the point in Z where numbers are getting weird. Ridiculous, really. Yeah, the the, I swear that Al Gore invented the internet so that Dragon Ball Z nerds could argue about (laughs) uh, power scales and numbers and stuff like this because there's no agreement anywhere. But Adam and I talked a little bit about this before we uh, started recording to try to figure out what's what's reasonable or, you know, that we could say how strong Cooler is, thinking about how strong he is relative to the villains uh, that the anime and the manga had ongoing when he was whipped up and, and the villain that preceded him and the villain that comes after him. And what... The number that I'm going for for the Raditz scale for Cooler uh, in his final form is 160 million. Now, you will find on the internet where, like, one of the there's some sort of V jump scan or something like that that swears that his final form's power level is 470 million. Yeah. But that is asinine. There's no way that that's well, right. And like, that doesn't make any I sense. I found on the uh, Dragon Ball fandom, there was actually an interview with Akira Toriyama where he stated that Frieza, like, among his race, is the most powerful. Like, Cold had really incredible levels of power, but Frieza was even more powerful than Cold. So it seems weird to me that randomly Cooler would be that much more powerful. But to be fair, Cooler doesn't seem to be canon. Like, I couldn't really find any references outside of video games where Frieza acknowledges that he has a brother. So there's that. Yeah. Also, fun fact, in uh, Fusion Reborn, Cooler is on the front cover, but he's not in the movie. That's the one that takes place in hell with Janemba, right? Yeah, and like I think something is causing all of the villains to come back because there's a really cool scene of like... Say a man, Gohan, fighting off all the old villains. Yeah, and he does show back up in GT. He makes a cameo, and he's apparently a big part in the DB Hero stuff. Yeah, that we there was something called yet, like Cooler Core. Uh, it looked really interesting. Well, I the the one hundred and sixty million number is a thirty percent increase over how strong Final Form Frieza was at uh, was at a hundred percent on Namek. He was one hundred and twenty million. This gives him forty million more. It's roughly a third 
stronger than Frieza was. And Goku on Namek in Super Saiyan form was 150 million. So this also necessitates Goku being stronger than he was then, which I think is also fair. Um, so what this means for the Raditz scale is that uh, Cooler is approximately 106,000 times stronger than Raditz is. <laughs> a whole, uh, almost 107,000 times stronger than like Raditz. a whole planet of Raditzes. Radi. Well, yeah, and and Lord Slug we pegged at a million at, at the top end. We thought that at most he would be rocking at about a million power level. So you're talking a hundred and you know that's a it's a big it's the biggest multiplier jump. It's 160 times stronger than the last villain. Yeah. I mean that's a giant. That is leap. a giant leap. That's that's huge. Cooler is really cool though, man. Like I I like him having a higher power level. I don't know that I like 470 million. That's a little much. No, it but doesn't I, make I any like sense. the number we settled on. I feel like that's a really fair number. I agree. So um, let's talk very briefly before we get into ratings about how we think that this uh, this arc might have played out differently if it was actually an arc inside of the anime did you have any thoughts on that so i kind of feel like this would have been another really big arc like i could see there being this huge thing where cooler shows up and like the maybe the the cronies for some reason i want to keep calling them the spice boys although i know that's not them uh coolers guys i feel like there would have been this whole thing where they would have ended up fighting off a bunch of a whole group of the z fighters like vegeta would have been part of this it wouldn't have just been so small scale like i think this would have been a full like 10 to 15 episodes my biggest thing was that i think that cooler wouldn't have been this oh suddenly frieza has a brother thing where i think that they would have it would have been a slower burn for the frieza family including king cold where like you know they go to namek they they find out about Frieza and then slowly, even if the characters themselves aren't introduced to the concept of King Cold or the concept of Cooler, that um, that we would be as the viewers, yeah. that there would be these teases of, you know, rumors getting back to these other members of his family where Frieza has been uh, forced by a Saiyan who they thought that they had eradicated into using his final form on Namek and all this stuff. And I think that we would have seen some of these pieces moving in the background. So the tighter ties to the Frieza family stuff would have been there. You wouldn't have just come out of nowhere and then seemingly disappeared back into nowhere. Well, it's Um, kind of like, so it would have been like a fuller family affair that we would have been teased. I think even as early as, midway through uh some of the namic stuff the frieza stuff in particular oh yeah i can definitely see see that for sure or at least maybe some of uh frieza's army like even the ginyu force talking about the cooler force or or something um you know in in the show king cold just kind of shows up like there's no mention of him really he just shows back up with mecha frieza how cool would it have been no pun intended if trunks had destroyed king cold and frieza and then like from the rubble rises cooler to take on these saiyans you know like that would have been really cool as kind of a final showdown like all right dad recruited me in case but they failed or something that would have been a really cool way to handle it yeah i just you would have just gotten more of that frieza family dynamic and 
maybe if they had done it that way, they would have figured out a, a, a name for Frieza's race besides the Frieza race, because there would have been more of them than they would have needed maybe more of an explanation than they're just called the Frieza That's, race, which is canonically what yeah, they're like called. Yeah, like even in video games, whenever I think it's, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? The, uh, the, the two like RPG versions, you can choose Xenoverse. Xenoverse. Yeah, you can choose to be a Frieza race. <laughs> like, okay. Right. That's silly. <laughs> I think that if they had woven this into the fabric of the show, they would have had to come up with something. Yeah, I mean, King Cold is such a throwaway character, and it feels like Cooler kind of is, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he comes back the very next Dragon Ball Z movie. Not the one we're covering for Kaio Cinema, but the next Dragon Ball Z movie that we cover is Cooler again. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, he gets these two movies, and he has a cameo in GT, and that's kind yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, what'd you rate this movie, man, out of seven stars? It's great. Uh, I was shocked by how much I liked this. I... Uh, I almost want to give it high, just slightly higher than this, but I'm giving this a solid six. Oh, wow. Okay. I stinking loved it. I, I mean, I enjoyed every watch through of it. And I, you know, I usually watch these movies four or five times getting ready. And sometimes after the second viewing, I'm kind of over it besides, you know, having the task of taking down holler minutes and whatnot. But the villain was seemed properly motivated. The fight scenes were really cool. There was a little bit of downtime, you know, when they're hiding out in the cave and Gohan's got to go to Corrin Tower. Um, but, you know, the I just thought Cooler just was handled really well. Obviously, we've talked about some ways that he could have been handled better. The Super Saiyan transformation thing is a big letdown for me. I wish that they had uh, played that up there. But there are some production side reasons for why they didn't or couldn't. So I can understand that. Uh, but yeah, this is this is great. And I, I it it kind of baffles me that it gets rated so poorly on other lists of people ranking these movies. I, I, you know, there's obviously some stuff borrowed, but listen, like they're cranking these movies out. Of course they're going to borrow oh, stuff yeah. because they're on like crazy time crunches. And if you can, if you can give them that little bit of grace, this movie is one of the best ones in that, that we've watched so far. Six ties it with uh, history of Bardock in my uh, in my ratings. Yeah, see, I give it a 5.5. Like, I like Bardock a little bit more than I liked this movie, but this movie's solid, and I think anyone that likes Dragon Ball Z should watch it. I really, the only thing I wish that they could have done a bit differently, I wish Vegeta was in this movie. I feel like that would have made so much sense. I mean, he was such a huge part in the Frieza role with telling Goku, like, hey, this is the guy that killed all of us. You know, like, he made, played such a huge part in that that it feels like he should have been there to to see cooler at least or be involved in it i don't know i would have liked to have had vegeta in this movie at some point somehow well we get a dose of vegeta in the next one because he's there yes. for the second cooler yes, movie he is so i'm looking forward to that i don't think it's going to be rated nearly as highly as this one i do not remember liking the return of cooler <laughs> i remember more about the uh dragon ball z abridged treatment of that movie than i do about the actual movie so, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that it comes anywhere close to a 5.5 or a 6 for either one of us. But in two weeks, we're going to be covering Dragon Ball colon The Magic Begins. This is, I think, a Taiwanese version. If you just search for the Magic Dragon Ball The Magic Begins, you should be able to find a way to watch it for free online. I don't know that there are any official releases. I haven't gotten that far into the research process for it but that is what we're going to be covering in two weeks for the next Kaio yes Cinema. and i'm pretty sure it's actually on youtube so uh just uh, like adkin said google it dragon ball the magic begins you can definitely find it out there 
Uh, but if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It really, really helps us out. Apparently, Spotify is a place you can leave reviews now, and it seems like most people listening to podcasts these days are actually listening on Spotify. So if you don't mind giving us a review there, it would really help us out, and we would really appreciate it. And if you enjoy like listening to us, come hang out in the Discord. We, we're pretty active in there. I'm not as much as Atkins is. I, I, unfortunately, I haven't been. I'm trying to be a little bit more active, but... Discord's an awesome place. We have a really, really good time in there. There's a lot of great conversations happening. Yep. And the best way to find the Discord and us is to go to Twitter and search for at AlmightyPod and peep the pin tweet as there's a link to the Discord as well as to RSS feeds for Kyo Cinema and the Almighty Pod, which is a podcast wherein Adam and I talk about all things My Hero Academia. We are currently in the in in the absence of the anime, working our way through the spin-off manga vigilantes and it is treating us extremely well so if you uh care to join in on that particular podcast that airs on the opposite mondays of the kyo cinema yes, mondays. And this coming monday we were capturing episodes 96 and 97 of vigilantes it's heating up so you guys got to catch up on that and go check out almighty podcast but otherwise we'll yes, see sir. you in a couple weeks see you guys <laughs> <laughs>